James chapter 3. How about we do that? Y'all didn't do much talking amongst yourselves. James chapter 3. As we come to this, we're taking another step with James. And uh, it's a good time for us to acknowledge that James just intends to get right up in our business. Um, Some of you may know that over the last uh, month or two as we've been working our way through this, I've tried to put some statements out there for us to remember. Uh, One of them was, this is a test. Y'all remember that? All right. And so what was the second one? Where's God in this test? So I found myself, uh, especially this morning, thinking through that and processing where God is and some of the stuff that I'm going and uh, going through. And so he- here's my deal. Some of you are entrepreneurs out there. And um, so let me give you an idea and you develop it and we will get rich together. You're going to see me, uh, you, some of you have seen me walking around with a cane. And the reason for that is uh, because the, my medical condition as we have it right now is um, progressed to the point that sometimes my left leg just kind of decides, no more, I'm not here. And uh, so whether I'm walking or standing, uh, my left leg collapses every once in a while. And uh, my face can't handle much more damage. So um, I'm using a cane to avoid falling. Uh, and so back to the, uh, to the where's God in this, I, I, I had this idea, this money-making idea. A, and, and it fits with what James is saying today. Uh, and that is, if, if a cane is intended to keep us from stumbling, uh, if we could develop a mouth cane... To keep us from stumbling with what we say, this world would be a happier place and we might in fact find that uh, we have a lot less of putting out fires in church work than we do otherwise. So if you want to learn how to make a mouth cane, uh, it was my idea, so you got to at least give me a percentage. Look at James chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage here, but we're going to come back and refer to several verses as we go. But as you're turning to James chapter 3, and I begin to read here in just a second, let me remind you that what James is saying throughout this entire epistle is your faith has to work. It is not sufficient to have this body of information that we refer to as our faith uh, and it not be tangibly expressed in the way we live. In other words, you can't have it up here in your head only and it not affect the way you live your life. Your faith has to work. Wow. So hang on a second. So, your faith has to work in your mouth, in other words, is where we are here. So, let's see what he has to say. James chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. 
where James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now I'm going to stop reading for just a second and comment on this because what we find here is James beginning with a comment to teachers. Your faith as a teacher has to work in your mouth. Now we often take this, and I'm one of the ones who takes it this way, Uh, to understand that everybody in church should not be a teacher. Now, I I used to serve on a staff of a church where they believed that if you were a church member, then by definition, you should be able to teach a class. (laughs) And so I watched some people just absolutely panic when that word went out, right? Well, James would tell us, uh, that's you just, just because you're breathing doesn't mean you ought to be a teacher. As a matter of fact, he writes this largely because in first century Jewish life, and by extension, first century Greco-Roman life, uh, to be a teacher was a status symbol. I mean, you, you could reach a point where if you had people following you and listening to what you said, you were their teacher, then there was a certain amount of, oh, well, you've kind of hit the big time there. And uh, so the status part of that would cause a lot of people to go to it and say, okay, well, I'm going to be a teacher because, you know, they get the best parking spots or whatever. James says, not so. Let not many of you, as I think is the way the King James reads it, uh, try to be teachers. So let's keep reading now, verse 2. And so now after starting with that very small slice of church life, the limited scope of the people who could be teachers... Now James expands it out and explodes it out to a bigger audience, which ultimately will include all of us. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, that is mature or complete. He has reached spiritual maturity, able also to bridle his whole body. And speaking of bridling, he goes to verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. So James jumps into it. We all stumble in many ways. Now, he's talking today, as you can 
easily figure out. It's not like James is pulling punches here. It's not like he's speaking in code. He gives illustration after illustration to drive his point home that we all stumble. We stumble in many ways. In case you're not sure what he means by stumble here, we could go back to chapter 2 and verse 10 where he uses the exact same word except we translate it there as fails. Chapter 2 verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails or stumbles in one point has become accountable for all of it. James says that your stumbling mouth is an indication that your faith is not working like it should. He's sort of nice about it because he says we all have this problem. But we shouldn't take a whole lot of comfort from we all have this problem. Uh, that would be kind of like saying to somebody on the Titanic, uh, you know, you're a pretty good person. Uh, and just because you can't swim doesn't matter that much. We're all going to drown if we're on the Titanic, right? So he's saying to us, this is a, is a problem that goes across the board for us, but we don't need to take comfort in that. We just need to fix that. And so he comes with this idea of our tongue and our mouth and stumbling there. So what I want to promote for us here, and I won't be all that long today, I hope, but I want to promote for us the reality that when we stumble with our mouth, what we're really doing is just letting our thoughts take sound. The battle for the mouth is actually fought in the head. Well, let's do this. If we could magically take your thoughts and project them up like a holographic image so that everybody could read what you're thinking, would you like that? Would you vote for that? Now, my dad, and I may say this again later, but my dad has often said, the only reason I'm still alive is because nobody knows what I'm thinking. You know what? I think that's true of him. I know him well. I'm sure that's true of him. But my suspicion is that it's true of you too. Let's just try that little experiment while you're driving. What if while you're driving, your thoughts could magically be put up on top of your roof of your car so that everybody around you could read, especially the guy who's in front of you? Or you're in line at some grocery store or food establishment or something like that. Most of us don't want people knowing our thoughts. So we stumble there. We stumble in the attitudes that we have towards people. I I love this story. I'm sure that it's a preacher story, but I love the story nonetheless. Preacher story, I've told you by now. Somebody made it up probably. It might have been told it's true. It's probably not true, but it sure makes a good point. So here's the one that I want to share with you here. The guy was working in the produce section of a grocery store. And he's working out there, and he's, you know, changing out produce and watering it down. You know, you've seen those guys do that kind of stuff, from, and we know well from our church some folks who do that for a living. And, and so they're out there working hard, and this lady walks up, and she says, I, I, all I see, I just need lettuce. And he said, well, here's the lettuce, and you got 15 different kinds of lettuce. And she says, no, I'm looking for a half of a head of lettuce. And he says, we don't have a half a head of lettuce. Just buy the whole thing and cut it in half. We'll cut it in half for you. 
She said, no, I only want to buy a half a head of lettuce. He says, it only, it's 99 cents. You know, just buy a whole head. We don't have them in the half a head. And she was insistent, and she just kept pushing it. And so finally he said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to talk to our manager here, and let me see if he will let me sell you a half a head of lettuce because we don't do that normally. So he goes over to the manager And he says exactly these words. You won't believe this. There is this lame-brained idiot of a lady back there, and she's wanting to buy a half a head of lettuce. And the manager goes, and he points like this. And so the clerk doesn't know what he's doing, and the manager just kind of keeps nodding his head and pointing like that. And he turns around and he looks, and there's that lame-brained idiot of a lady standing right behind him. And he says to the manager, and this sweet lady would like to buy the other half. Now, here's what I want you to get from that. Most of us would never say that about somebody. But many of us might have that attitude about somebody. Honestly, aren't there lame-brained idiots in your life? Siblings excluded. James says we stumble in the way we talk. And I want to pull, as we talk about how we talk and the control of the tongue today, I want to pull that down to make sure that we're recognizing that the tongue really is just the thing that verbalizes what's in us. James says it has to work. Your faith has to work in your mouth. Some people don't get that. Some people never achieve that. Case in point, on a hillside in England, in a churchyard, is one of those old ancient cemeteries. True story. And on that, in that cemetery is a grave marker... And these words are written. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. When it comes to the way you talk, are you able to control that, or will it take death for you to finally get it right? James says it has to work in our mouths. Our faith does. So let's look at the way he says it. First of all, as we look at this, he's, he essentially is saying to us, you need to watch your step with the way you talk. Well, how do we do that? Verses 3 through 13, and we've looked at verses 1 and 2 already, so let's come down. Verses 3 through 13, he provides this string of illustrations uh, that help us understand, among other things, that help us understand why we need to watch it. And I'm going to come back and add something to why we need to watch it or maybe play off of something that he's doing here. But let's start off with verse 5 where he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And then he turns immediately to talk about how the tongue is a fire. We see that and we hear that. But it doesn't always register for us. And, uh, you know, having been a backpacker for a long time, I was always 
careful to check before I went into the back country to make sure that the rangers in the U.S. forest were allowing fires, including fires on your stove, so that you could cook while you're there. Now, we can go out into the woods here. If you have land or something, you go out there, and unless there's a burn ban, you can go on your land at any time and start a fire. And we start fires in our backyards, and we burn down wood piles and all of that kind of stuff. But the key that James is drawing for us here is that that big fire starts with something as simple as a match. And his point for us is that it, the tongue has a way of producing more damage than what we intended when we started. You ever found that to be true in church? Where somebody says something, oh, well, did you know that so-and-so said... And when it's intended to be a discussion between two people, or let's make it three, then somehow that has a way of getting to be 303. And it's not so much the extent of the, of the talking itself, it's the damage that's It's the fire that gets started. One of the things that I tell youth ministers that I deal with, is you need to make sure that you handle yourself with teenage girls because all it takes is one accusation from one teenage girl to ruin your life. I'll just expand that out to say it doesn't take a teenage girl to ruin somebody's life. He gives these illustrations that set the tone for us. Verse 3, he talks about horses with bits in their mouths. Mouths. In verse 4, he talks about ships and rudders, the small piece that drives the entire ship and turns it around. Verse 5, again, the forest. And, uh, and, but I take it back to verse 1, okay, because he starts off talking to teachers. And I don't think it's an accident that James begins there and then immediately goes into this bigger discussion. Because as a teacher, you, if those of you who are teachers in here, I'm talking about church context especially, you have the ability to begin Problems at maximum levels with what you say. One unguarded statement in a teaching session can do damage to a church that it could never recover from. So James is saying that the small stuff matters for us. Big problems have small beginnings It's so true. Verses 7 and 8 kind of remind us that uh, our tongue is really more powerful than we are even. Verse 8 again. Let me read that one for you. But no human... Well, back up to verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. And then he adopts this language that seems to point us backwards to the Garden of Eden. And he talks about this tongue that is a restless evil full of deadly poison and so we flash back to Eve and the serpent in the garden of Eden and that temptation that was wrapped up in those words that were spoken between the two of them that spread then to Adam that then spread to all of the human condition such a small beginning but the intent from the beginning was to destroy 
I want to kind of be a little bit humorous with what I'm about to say because I know that this kind of message is really hard to hear. But sometimes what we do with our mouths, we disguise the hook that's in what we say with humor. For instance, Winston Churchill, most of us know who he is. We know that Winston Churchill was a great statesman and a political leader for Great Britain during the time of World War II. And we could go back to some great speeches that Winston Churchill made. One of the ones that I say on a regular basis to myself, never give up. Never, ever give up. But Winston Churchill had this ongoing uh, antagonism with a lady who was named Lady Astor. And this was ongoing, and she hated him, and he hated her, and their language showed that. For instance, at one point, Lady Astor said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I would put arsenic in your tea. Don't get any ideas, ladies. Winston Churchill's response to that was, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. Another situation between the two of them was a public function, and Winston Churchill was inebriated. He had been uh, hitting the sauce pretty well, and Lady Astor was just, she was scandalized by that. Here's this high-profile guy, and he's drunk in public, and so she goes to him, and she says, you're drunk, to which he responded, you're ugly, and tomorrow morning I shall be sober. And you see how we take humor and hide hooks in it? Most of us are too sophisticated to attack somebody straight up. So what we tend to do is we tend to go around the edges. And we gather a set of people who will hear what we have to say and we'll drop comments and misquote statements and essentially assassinate the character of another person with our mouths. That is the death knell for a church. And James says, if that's what you're doing, then your faith doesn't work in your mouth. James is just kind of straight up with all of this stuff, don't you think? He goes on to say that we should consider the source of that. If we happen to be the person who commits character assassination with our mouth and we talk in ways that damage the kingdom of God by damaging its people, he says we should consider the source of that. First of all, in verse 10, he says that just shouldn't be. That, that just, it's just not acceptable. But he says consider the source and how, uh, how it's a disconnect to believe that good, let me rephrase that, to, to believe that that kind of evil speech could originate from a good heart. He says, your faith is not working there. So he uses this verse 9 where he talks about the difference. You can't praise God out of one side of your mouth and curse men out of the other side, but that's actually a lot stronger statement than what we find here because, again, if it's referring back at all to the book of Genesis where it says that God created man in his own image, James is taking that picture and saying if you praise God 
out of one side of your mouth and immediately turn to curse somebody who's made in God's image, that doesn't make sense. And so then he turns to this idea of water from a spring. You can't get clean water from a brackish source. That's verse 11. And then he goes to figs and grapes and those kind of things in verse 12. And and, in all, what he's saying is it's not natural to expect anything other than the source to produce what that source produces. So if we find people in church and you hear things come out of their mouths that don't fit the Christian life. Let me rephrase that. They say things that you could never, ever imagine Jesus saying. Then maybe their faith doesn't work. So it impacts us at the point of our mouth behavior here. Won't you, musicians, y'all come on up. We're going to close this off here pretty quick. So I, I leave you with a question. Does your faith work in your mouth? Can you say, like my dad did, and I've come to personalize for myself, the only reason I'm still alive is people don't know what I'm thinking? In the spirit of what James is talking about here, I think that we must say to that, then you're not thinking right. Are you disciplined enough in the Christian life to mimic the behavior that Jesus modeled? Where his speech, even when it was direct and even when it was challenging, was laced with love. If you really want to know where someone's faith is, all you really have to do is look in their mouth. You know, it's possible that one slight slippage of the tongue could kill somebody that you care about. Parents do that all the time. James would say, don't go there. Don't let that be the case. Watch your step. I had a friend. Actually, she was in my youth group when I was a youth minister many years ago. She was the most troubled teenager that I had dealt with up to that point in my life. Why she didn't try to commit suicide, I don't know. Her life was a wreck. And at one point, she was so messed up. I asked her, what was the deal? Why this behavior? She was living with her grandmother, and she told me that my mother tells me all the time, I don't want you. I don't know why I ever had you as a child. And I didn't care if you died today. You know what? Those are killer words to a kid. I think James would say that if we're not careful, we speak those kind of words to one another in church. And they're just as damaging to adults as they are to kids. Does your faith work in your mouth? Let's pray. So, Father, we come again finding ourselves painted on the pages of Scripture in ways that we rather they not be. None of us are exempt to this. We all struggle with this. And we need to get it right. So I ask you to help us with that. Convict us where necessary.
season it with as much grace and mercy as we can handle without pushing the message and the lesson aside. Give us reminders. Put people in our lives who will remind us to be gracious. May you be glorified in our mouths is our prayer in Jesus' name.